1 through 9, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The whole earth had one language and the same words, and as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us build bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and butamen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The word of God for the people of God. So this morning, I want to begin by asking you a question. I want to give you a hypothetical situation. Let's say that you are in charge of hiring for a major corporation. Now, the company that you work for is trying to solve a difficult problem. Maybe you're, you're trying to come up with the best shipping routes to get your product to the market. Maybe you're designing a car and you want to know what is the optimal number of cup holders and, and where should they be located. You're working on this, this complicated problem that has lots of different sorts of solutions, and you know that if you get this right, it will give you, it will give you an edge over the competition. Now, your task as the hiring director is to find the right people or, or person to do the job. And so you advertise the position, and 60 people apply to, to be part of this project. You get 60 resumes, and so you call in all 60 of those people, and you interview all 60 of those people, and you discover that they're all more or less qualified, and then you decide to give all 60 of those people some sort of a, a test. Maybe you give them an IQ test. Maybe you give them an, an aptitude test or a problem-solving test. And then you take all the scores of all those tests, and you rank each of those candidates from, from 1 to 60, depending on how they did on the test. And now here Here's the question I want to ask you this morning. As the, the hiring director, which of the following strategies would give your company the best chance at solving this complicated problem? Do you, A, hire the person who scored the best on the test? Do you, B, hire the top five people who scored on the test and assemble a dream team of your top five candidates? Or do you, C, shuffle all of those resumes like a deck of cards and then draw out five random resumes and hire whichever five people you pull out of the pile. Which, which of those hiring strategies would give your company the best chance at solving this difficult and complicated problem? That's the question that, that Scott Page asked his classroom back in 2004. 
Now, Scott Page is a professor at the University of Michigan. He's a professor of economics, and, and he had this class full of students who were learning about economics, and one day he decided he wanted to teach them a, a lesson about the, the power of teamwork. And, and being an economics professor, he decided the best way to prove his point was to write a computer program. So he wrote a computer program, and he brought his computer into to class one day. He set up his computer in front of all of the students, and then he asked them this question. He said, let's say that you're the director of hiring for a major corporation. Your company is trying to solve this difficult problem. 60 people apply for the job. You give all of them a test. You rank them from from 1 to 60. And he said, in this computer, I have written a program with 60 virtual people. I've created in my computer 60 people, each of whom has a a slightly different way of approaching a problem, each of whom has a a slightly different way of looking at a complicated problem and, and trying to find a solution. I gave each of those 60 virtual people a test. I've ranked them in order from 1 to 60. He said, now here's the question I want to ask you. Which hiring strategy do you think will give your corporation the best, the best chance of solving this problem? Do you A, hire the person who scored tops on the test, or do you B, hire the top five people and put them all on a team together? Which do you think will give you the, the better solution? And well, the class, they didn't have to think about that very long. They raised their hands and said, well, it seems like five heads is probably better than one. It would, would probably be better to hire a team. And, and Scott Page said, well, let's find out. And so he fed a, a problem into his computer, and then he ran a simulation. He had the, the top imaginary person compete against the top five imaginary people, and he pushed enter on his keyboard. And sure enough, a moment after he pushed enter, the results came through, and the team the team had come up with a better solution than the, the individual had. It happens like this in the real world, too, Scott Page said to his students. Every single time the team will beat the individual. If you're working on a complicated problem, it is always it is always better to give the problem to a team than just to find one hyper-qualified individual. And then just to prove his point, he ran the simulation over and over and over again. He kept feeding different problems into his computer. Every time he pushed enter, the team came out on top. The team beat the individual every single time. And then one of his students raised her hand and she said, Professor Page, I have a question. She said, is, is this only true if you have a team of all-stars? Or, or what if you had just a team of randomly selected people? Would a, would a team of, of randomly selected candidates, would they be able to beat the top individual? And, and Professor Page said, well, that's a really good question. He said, let's find out. And so he had the computer assemble a team of, of five randomly selected people out of the 60. And then he, he ran his simulation with another problem. He had the team of five randomly selected people compete against the one top individual. And sure enough, again, just like before, the team came out on top. The team of five randomly selected people performed better than the person who scored tops on the test. And then the student raised her hand again. And she said, Professor Page, I have another question. She said, what would happen if you had the two teams face off? What would happen if you had a a team of all-stars face off against a a team of five randomly selected people? And Professor Page said, well, the answer to that is pretty obvious. He said, obviously, you want the team of all-stars. Obviously, if you're trying to get the job done, you want to select the top candidates. You want the best and brightest people to be on your team. Here, he said, I'll show you. And then he put a problem into his computer. He faced off the two teams against each other, the team of all-stars against the team of five random 
resumes picked out of the pile. He pushed enter on his keyboard, and a moment later, he and everybody else in the class were astonished to see that the team of five randomly selected people came out on top. They came up with a, a better solution. Well, that must be a fluke, Professor Page said. Let's, let's try it again. Let's give them another problem. So he fed another problem into the computer, ran the simulation again, pushed enter again, and again, the team of five randomly selected people came out on top of the team of all-stars. He kept running the simulation over and over and over again, and no matter how many times they ran the simulation, no matter what problems they fed into the computer, every single time the team of five randomly selected people came out on top. Finally, Professor Page said, I give up. He said, I must have messed up the program. He said, I I must have messed up a line of coding somewhere. He said, let me take my computer home, and, and I'll go home, and I'll work on this problem overnight. We'll see if maybe we can figure out where this went wrong. And so he took his computer home that night, Scott Page did, and and he started over from scratch. He wrote the computer program over again using an entirely different computer language, which is something that apparently University of Michigan economics professors are able to do. He wrote the problem again, and then he pushed, pushed enter. He fed a problem into this new program that he had written, and again, the team of five random individuals beat the team of five all-stars. Over and over and over again, he ran simulations. He rewrote the program. No matter what he did, the results kept coming out the same until finally Professor Page started to wonder if maybe this wasn't a fluke after all. He started to wonder if maybe he had accidentally discovered something profound and important. And so Professor Page started going back over the results of all of those simulations, trying to, trying to figure out what exactly had been happening. Why was he getting these results? And as he looked back over the results of all of these, these different simulations, he started to notice a pattern emerging. He started to see why the team of randomly selected people kept beating the team of all-stars. The problem that the team of all-stars had was that the top five people were the top five people because they were all basically the same. They all approached the problem from a a similar point of view, and so they kept getting stuck in the same places. The team of five randomly selected people had what Scott Page came to call a diversity bonus, right? Now, now this is difficult to conceive of if we're thinking in terms of people, but let me see if I can frame this, this situation in a slightly different way that will help us to understand what's going on here. Now, let's say you want to build a deck off the back of your house, And let's say you're trying to select the five best tools to help you complete that project. So you go to your toolbox and you see that you have 60 different tools in your toolbox. And and now you you, you decide that you're going to test your tools. And so you rank all of your tools on a scale of of 1 to 60 uh, based on how well they're able to hammer a nail, right? And, And now let me ask you, which of the following strategies would give you the best assortment of tools to complete the project of building a deck? Do you take out the best hammer in your toolbox and try to build the deck with a single hammer? Do you take out the five best hammers from your toolbox and try to build your deck using the five best hammers? Or do you reach into the toolbox and pull out whichever five tools you happen to grab first? Which of those strategies is going to give you the better set of tools for building for building the deck? Suddenly, it's easy for us to see that, that the best way to get the job done is to have a diverse assortment of tools. This was Scott Page's profound and major insight. What he discovered is that basically all of us are tools. And if you want to get the job done, the best strategy is never to just select a team of the biggest tools. You always, you always want to have a diversity of people working on the project. You need to have some screwdrivers in the mix or you're not going to be able to get the job done. Now, Scott Page, Scott Page, his, his discovery revolutionized the way that companies and corporations look at diversity. 
It used to be that, that companies would, would aim for diversity and they would set diversity goals because it was the feel-good thing to do. It made them feel good to have a diverse bunch of people working at the business. They used to do it because, because it was, was good public relations. People liked doing business with a company that had lots of different kinds of people working there. But now, in the last 15 years, a, a transformation has happened. Now corporations, companies, businesses understand that diversity is important, not because it feels good, but because it is the smart way to do business. In the last 15 years, any number of studies and research products have shown that, that, that Scott Page's discovery of the diversity bonus actually happens in the real world. Studies have shown that, that companies that have diverse management teams perform better financially. Studies have shown that, that diverse teams of stockbrokers are better able to predict what the stock market is going to do. Studies have shown that, that groups of, of people who sit on a jury deliberate longer and have a better grasp of the facts when there is some racial diversity in the room. Study after study after study has shown us that the diversity bonus is real. This is something that we can see and quantify in the real world. It's a, a mathematically proven fact. People everywhere now are tapping into the power of the diversity bonus. People everywhere, that is, except for in the church. Now, right now, at this moment, the church in America is facing some of the most complicated problems and challenges that the church has faced since the earliest days of the Christian faith. How do we get people's attention in a world where they have Netflix and cell phones? How do we convince people that we have got some wisdom that can heal the world when so often we have been part of the problem? How do we find a way to hold on to each other when we are so deeply divided over so many things? At this moment when the church is facing all of these complicated challenges, at this moment when we need all of the best people at the table working on solutions to these problems, at this moment we see the church getting less, not more diverse. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once called 10 o'clock on Sunday morning America's most segregated hour. And not much has changed since he made that observation. Now, just five years ago in 2014, a, a study of American churches found that nearly nine in ten churches is composed of a single racial or ethnic group. And even more alarming than that is the fact that we're not bothered by that fact. The same study found that most American churchgoers think that their church is just fine the way it is. The majority of American churchgoers feel like their church is already diverse enough and their church doesn't need to do anything more to get to be more diverse. And that complacency, that complacency is hurting the church. That complacency is making it harder for us to address the challenges that are in front of us at this moment. Not only that, but that complacency about our lack of diversity, it breaks God's heart. If you want to know how God feels about diversity, all you got to do is read this morning's scripture lesson. In this morning's reading, we have this, this weird story about a group of people who get together and they, they try to build a tower. Now, this story from the book of Genesis, it comes just after the story of Noah and the flood. Do you remember the story of Noah and the flood? There was this, this great and terrible flood that came to all of the world, and, and almost all of the peoples of the world were washed away by the flood. Only one family was spared. Noah and his family were spared. And so after the waters went down, Noah and his family, they started to rebuild their lives. They started to rebuild the world. They had children. They had grandchildren, and the family kept on growing until the family had become a city. It had become a, a nation. And people in the nation, people in the city, they were pretty happy. They all spoke the same language. They all looked the same. They all dressed the same. They all thought the same. There was hardly any conflict or violence at all. And the people in the city said, isn't this wonderful? 
Let's try to find a way to make it like this forever. Let's, let's build a monument to our sameness. Let's build a tower that reaches up to the sky. Let's build a tower that is so big that we will be able to see it from everywhere. And no matter where we are, we will always be able to find our way back home. And so the people in the city, they got to work. They started putting giant blocks on top of giant blocks. And they started building this tower. And God up in heaven heard the commotion that was happening down on earth. And God said, well, I better go down and see what they're up to. And so God came down and God saw the tower that the people had built and God looked into their hearts and God saw why. God saw the reasons that they had for wanting to build this tower. And the Bible tells us, the book of Genesis tells us that in that moment, God was afraid. God was disturbed. As a boy in Sunday school, I always wondered about this moment. I always wondered, why, why is God so threatened by this tower? What is it that God finds so alarming about this tower? As a boy in Sunday school, I wondered what it was that, that so upset God about this tower. And then, then I got older, and I went to school, and I learned. I learned history. I learned what happens every time in human history a group of people get together and say, let's create a place. Let's create a place where everybody speaks the same language. Let's create a place where everybody looks the same and everybody dresses the same and everybody thinks the same. Every time in human history, people get together and say those words, think those thoughts. How does that story end? Every single time in human history, a group of people have got together and tried to create that sort of place. It ends in what? It ends in people burning each other at the stake. It ends in inquisitions. It ends in genocide and holocaust and gas chambers. It ends in people destroying everyone who is even just a little bit different. God can see where this is headed, even if the people building the tower don't know it. God knows exactly how this project is going to end. God sees what the people are about to do, and God says no. God knocks down the tower, and God confuses the language of the people, and then God scatters the people all around the earth, and God says, go out and experience all of the things that I have in creation. Don't, don't just stay in one place and learn how to be human in one way. Go out into every corner of the earth and learn a thousand different ways of being human. Speak a thousand different languages. Invent a thousand different cultures. Learn how to live where it's hot and learn how to live where it's cold. Learn how to live where it's dry and learn how to live where it's wet. Learn Learn how to live on the mountaintops and learn how to live in the valley. Learn how to be human in a thousand different ways, God said. This will give me more joy than all of you living in one place, speaking one language, thinking the same way. This will make humanity more resilient and more interesting. In this story, we see that God is not just a lover of diversity. God is the author. God is the inventor. God is the creator of diversity. In this story, we see that God's plan was always that there would be a thousand different ways of being human in this world. In this story, we see that God's God's plan was always that all of those different kinds of humanity would come together in the church, gather at the table, and learn how to live in peace with one another. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would remove from our hearts the sense of complacency. God, we know that it's not easy and we know that there will be challenges, but we pray that today you would plant within us a desire to be more diverse, to meet people who are not like us, to come to the table with people who are different from us, to learn languages that we've never learned before, to hear from people who see the world in a different way. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would assemble within your church a team of people who are capable of meeting the challenges of this hour.
God, we pray for the future of the church. May it, may it be more diverse. May it please you more than the past. In Jesus we pray. Amen.